0: Good morning. I'll be reading from Psalm 116, verses 1 through 9. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pains of shoal laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living.
1: Thank you, Tracy. Now, that was bad planning on my part, asking my wife to read that psalm. I didn't realize that it would uh, it triggers in us a memory from about 20 years ago when our son was uh, in a deep coma on a ventilator. Uh, and this was, that was the moment where we just turned to the Lord. Uh, and you know what? The Lord delivered, Cullen, uh, And he's alive today uh, and living a full 100% life. So praise God for that. I want to thank some special friends here today. Scott and Chelsea Tekeski are here with their two boys visiting. They're long-term attenders of Cedar Run. They moved to Georgia a few years ago, so we miss them. But they turn up here once in a while. So it's great to see you guys. Thank you. And thank you to John Macaluso for that prayer. It was a good reminder of Thanksgiving as we speed into Christmas, right? It's a shorter time period, I think, this time uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I know because my house is almost fully decorated already just a day later Uh, and a special thanks to the decorations here in our church at Cedar Run to Jane Rulliard. So Jane Rouillard and her life group and some other folks come in here every year faithfully they decorate this place to the nine so we thank you for that and we even have our uh, nativity set uh, built by Derek Heath out front and some of the guys helped set that up so thank you for that. That will be there for the Christmas Eve service. And we've heard a rumor that Mary and Joseph may be present. Okay? Photo op, right? But here's the bad news. Mary and Joseph have kind of gone missing on us. We thought we had a Mary and Joseph, and now they're fugitives. So there's a warrant out for Mary and Joseph. If one of you wants to pretend to be Mary and Joseph, come see me, please. We need a Mary and Joseph, all right? But go ahead, open your Bibles to Psalm 116. You know, a couple of things that is, uh, let me get my water here for a second. You know, a couple of things are true about deeply challenging times, like the thing that Tracy and I went through 20 years ago uh, with Cullen. You know, and it seems like the first one is that we're always either coming out of a crisis or we're going into a crisis and one of the big hopes in life is if you had that big crisis, that that was the one, you're going to be okay, right? And another truth is, you know, if you had never had something big happen in your life, the big crisis, well, watch out. It's coming, right? Uh, and that was always how I felt as a teenager growing up in South Florida. Uh, my parents kind of put it on autopilot. I had a key hanging around my neck from about the second or third grade, kind of free run of the town there. Uh, and there was incredible times of freedom. I was soaring, hanging out with my friends, you know. Uh, and things would always go so good, but I got in some trouble here and there. And when things were going good, I always knew trouble was right around the corner. And this dread would set in, would just set in on me. Uh, and, you know, long before Florida, man, there was Florida Teen. That's me, all right? <laughs> South Florida. At the very, it was at the very next left turn, I had this feeling of dread when I did not signal a left turn in front of a police officer. And I was pulled over on my motorcycle and arrested for driving without a license. Now, who would have known that a 14-year-old needed a driver's license? Okay? But, you know, whether it's something like that that we bring on ourselves or whether it's something that the world puts in our lap, we're never going to be immune from trouble. Uh, both of our own making, Florida teen and Florida man, uh, and others bringing it to us, okay? Uh, but David in the psalm, he shows us that grace will be sufficient to get you through. So uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote this, sometimes the choicest love letters from God come in envelopes burned around the edges. We're frightened at what's inside, but if you know how to break the seal, you can find riches for your soul. When God has an extraordinary mercy to send us, sometimes he uses a cranky old donkey to drag it to the door. You know, when David has gone through just such a time as he writes to us in this psalm, uh, it's suspiciously like a prayer journal entry, as most of David, David's Psalms are. He's close to death, even. Things are really bad. And what does he do? He calls upon the Lord. Verse 1 reads I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. One of the biggest lessons we can learn from this passage is uh, that the best resort in times of trouble is prayer. It's not a last resort when you run out of yourself, it is a first resort and a best resort. You know, so often I'll be facing things that have been eating at me. Uh, I'm stressed out. I'm struggling with them. I'm not praying. Uh, And Tracy will see me struggling. She'll say, hey, what's wrong? Tell me what's going on. And I'll start to tell her what's happening. uh, And it's coming out of my heart. And then I'm thinking in the back of my head, I know what's coming next. All right? She'll go, have you prayed about it? How dare you? Of course. No, I didn't pray about it. (laughs) But I never learned my lesson. So this morning, we're going to look at three actions God takes when we pray to him during a crisis, okay? So first, how God listens to us. Secondly, how God lifts us up. And thirdly, how God liberates us. So how he listens to us, lifts us up, and liberates us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for for getting to experience Thanksgiving, Lord, to be thinking of you and the things that we're thankful with, and now to turn right into uh, the key season of Christianity, Lord, Uh, Jesus Christ come to earth, Lord, God shedding his godly power and becoming a human being, Lord. We thank you for that. Uh, We pray that your words here would let us understand the gospel gospel in ways we haven't before. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing God does when we reach out to him in the crisis is he listens to us. But in order for God to listen to us and hear us, what do we have to do? We have to call on the Lord, don't we? Verse 2 says, Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. One of the reasons that David calls on the Lord is because he knows that God is listening. Because he, God, has inclined his ear to David, therefore, David will call on him. So David knows in his heart of hearts that God is listening. And David wouldn't just call on the Lord in this situation or randomly, but David is committed to consistently call on the Lord as long as He shall live. So you can pray in times of trouble, knowing then the deepest part of your soul that God is listening. So David just has this incredible confidence that God is listening. God is cupping his ear. He's like waiting to hear the words with anticipation from David. Don't leave God cupping his ear, waiting to hear from you. Don't leave God hanging like that. That's like the bad high five, right? You're left hanging. Don't leave God hanging. He's, he wants to hear from you. David says in verse 3 that the snares of death encompassed him. He's surrounded on all sides with no logical way to escape. So they had snared him. They'd gotten a hold of David physically, maybe even. He was in death's grasp, it was in moments away. Maybe maybe it's physical, maybe it's sickness, maybe it's injury. He's got the pangs of sheol. Pangs is like uh, are these fits of pain, and sheol is the he- Hebrew idiom for death. So the distress and anguish, the terror, the sorrow. David was as low as you can get, and God lifts him out of it. So graciousness is God giving us what we don't deserve. That's an element of the gospel, isn't it? We don't deserve salvation in the larger sense, do we? And we don't deserve salvation in the smaller sense, really. I mean, apart from Christ, we actually probably do deserve the bad outcome. But God is gracious and delivers us anyway. But be careful, though, to accept that grace. Be careful. That's a warning, okay? Because if we give ourselves credit when we come to the other side of it, if we say, oh, look how I pulled myself out of this. Look at all that I did to to make this right. That's not grace anymore. That's you doing it. And the next step to that is pride. Pride is right behind that. It's not grace anymore. It's pride. You know, if things don't go well in the crisis, okay? If we didn't feel like we did enough, then what happens is we tend to blame ourselves and get down on ourselves. That's not grace either. Grace is however we wind up on the other side. We don't get credit for it, and we don't take the blame when there's nothing else we could have done. I got this quote from somebody here. I forget who it is, but do everything you can as if all relies on you, but then believe as though you've done nothing, and it's all up to God. Do everything you can as if it all relies on you, but then believe as though you've done nothing, and it is all up to God. So somewhere between what we we need to be doing and what God is fully doing, what he does right, is something called God's sovereignty. He's in total control, and we don't know exactly how those two things come together, right? our will, and God working in things. But don't invoke God like some kind of magic spell and just stand back and let him do his thing. We need to be doing what we need to be doing in these situations. So that's graciousness, okay? Righteousness. Only God is righteous. And let me just say, graciousness is is an attribute of what? It's an attribute of God, but specifically it's also an attribute of the gospel, isn't it? So David names these things in here. Graciousness first. That's one attribute of the gospel. Then there's a second one we're going to see here. Righteousness. Where's he getting this from? The gospel isn't in the Old Testament yet, is it? This is an incredible look forward. But righteousness. Only God is righteous. Okay? We are not righteous. We can't work hard enough to be righteous. We can't do enough good deeds Only God is righteous. You can't go to enough new commandments in a row to be righteous. You need to go to a few, though, okay? Right, Bill? Righteousness is always through Jesus. Somebody else does the work for us, and we get credit for Jesus' righteousness. So for David, he had to look ahead into the unknown. He had it much harder than we did. He is not seeing Jesus. He is not seeing the gospel spelled out for him the way that we do. But he has an unseeing faith that God would somehow make things right between him and God. When David talks about righteousness through all the Psalms, you're like, what's he talking about? Because we know as sinners, we can't be righteousness. David has a hope in God and what he's going to do. But we see Jesus. And if we repent of our sin and ask for forgiveness from Jesus, he gives it to us, right? He gives us the results of his work. He gives us the results of his righteousness. So Jesus lived the life that we couldn't, and he credits us with the results. Now, we are not actually righteous right now, right? We still sin, don't we, even as Christians? But God sees us as righteous. It's like a legal finding. He sees us as righteous through Jesus. Now, we want to be getting more righteous, actually, don't we, as we approach God, as we approach seeing him face-to-face, as our sanctification, as our spiritual maturity grows. But it's his righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, that we get. So, graciousness, that's one attribute of the gospel. Righteousness, that's another one. Now, the third one is this, mercifulness. God does not let the trial consume David, okay? He he gives mercy to David. He doesn't let the trial consume him. Because remember what we really deserve. We kind of deserve to have the trial go the wrong way most of the time. We deserve the bad because of our sin, but because of mercy, God doesn't give us what we really deserve, okay? In mercy, God does not give us what we really deserve. Remember, I I came up in an independent Baptist church, and one of the favorite lines was this, you know, in graciousness, we get what we don't deserve, but in mercifulness, we don't get what we do deserve, right? Right? In graciousness, we don't get what we really deserve. But in mercifulness, we don't get what we do deserve. Now, for the believer, what does that mean? That means that God does not give us hell. We do deserve hell. That's the default setting for all humanity. But God often delivers us even here on earth. So as Christians, we don't get hell, but we also often get blessings here on earth. We get delivered here on earth. It's only due to God's tender mercies that we aren't totally consumed by the things that are happening all around us every day. In fact, the gospel with these three attributes, it allows us to face adversity with a kind of sureness in our heart. Because listen to what David says here. He says in, in verse six, "The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me." So who were the simple? Well, according to David, the simple are those who are whom the Lord will preserve, right? The Greek Septuagint translates that word simple uh, into little children. Now, we know from the New Testament that Jesus says you should believe, have faith like little children. But David is saying we should be like little children uh, even in the face of a crisis in our life. So we should be running to God the same way we run to Jesus in faith in the New Testament. Even in adversity, we should be like little children, just simple-minded about run right to God, knowing He has this. Because you know what? It takes a lot of cunning and a lot of bandwidth and scheming to sin, doesn't it? That's not a simple life. Managing your image, managing the lies, managing your reputation. You think righteousness is a lot of work. Sinning is a lot of work, too. I knew... uh, in the FBI, there was an agent who spent as much energy not working as he would have if he had worked. All right? He would if he had spent as much energy working cases and locking guys up as he did trying to get out of doing all that stuff, he would have been like s It takes a lot of work to be scheming, okay? Think of the effort. That it takes to maintain our image every day, right? To keep all of our stories and little legends about ourselves, right? When we're at sports practice or talking to other parents or whatever. But there's a real simplicity. There's a real simplicity in the gospel. Because everything in Nova says strive and work harder and work faster and get busier. But the gospel says that our acceptance is not found in any of that. It's much more simple. So, in adversity, how do we react? How do we react when things aren't going our way? Because the way we react, when you, get, when you face adversity, it can bring up things in your heart you never knew were there. Adversity reveals the foundations of your life. Your response to a crisis reveals the foundations of your life and what you believe, what's at the very core of your heart and who you are. In those moments, you know what you need to remember? The gospel, the mercy, the grace, the righteousness in Christ, because in those lows, low times, those lowest of times, you have a choice. You can let the worst of you come out in anger, and fear, and bitterness. Or you can remember, as David did, that God saved me. He may not even save you from the Christ, but you are saved no matter what. David says, God brought him low. And in the larger sense of your salvation, you had to be brought low, didn't you? You had to recognize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus was the only way out of your eternal adversity. In the smaller sense, Christian, okay, if you're a believer, when you face the daily adversity of the world, you've got to remind yourself of the gospel. You've got to reaffirm the gospel. Because so much of the culture is about self-affirmation, right? We need to be gospel-affirming. There needs to be gospel affirmation in our life every day. That adversity, whatever David was going through, whatever you are going through, you can't let it knock you off your certainty that God loves you. Don't let it knock off your certainty that God loves you. The gospel is like an antibiotic. It is. It kills the infection that causes you despair over what you're going through. And if you don't take This antibiotic regularly in the prescribed amounts and with food sometimes of scripture, right? Take with food. If you don't take it regularly, you're going to be despondent, okay? Your soul will get infected. The whole point of adversity when taken through the framework of the gospel is that it points you back to Jesus. Despite what you were going through, despite the world being a broken place with all kinds of evil happening, if you have faith in Jesus and a love relationship with God, he will use what you are going through. He'll arrange it for your good and he'll humble us. He'll teach us wisdom. So we're going to learn all sorts of things that we never knew about ourselves in a crisis. We're going to know all sorts of things, what's really at our core when we're facing adversity. And it's because God loves us and Jesus died for us. So the degree to which you believe that though is, is the degree to which your suffering will make you wise instead of that adversity putrefying inside your heart and darkening your soul. It'll make you bitter. Without the gospel, you become a bitter person in adversity. The bitterness takes root. It gets into the core of your heart. The gospel is the cure for what brings us low. We can apply the gospel to all the things we go through, all that brings us low. We can apply it to the snares of death that David is facing, to our suffering and our distress in our anguish. David takes gospel principles, and he's never heard of the gospel, okay? He takes those principles, the grace and the mercy and the righteousness, and we can take them. We can take them. We know they lead to Jesus. David didn't even know that. Look what it did for him. So that was actually our second point. God lifts us up, all right? Somehow I forgot to tell you we were on point two. (laughs) So God listens, God lifts us up, and here's the last point of the morning. I messed up Tracy's sketchbook. She sketches uh, her notes in there, so I'm in trouble now. Here's the last point of the morning. God liberates us, okay? We call out to God in crisis and in adversity. God liberates us. Here's what David recounts that God did in verse 8. If you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. You know, if you're wondering, and maybe you've even, you're going through something now, and you're wondering if you should call on the name of the Lord, should I pray? Like when I'm like holding out and not praying, and I'm just letting you eat me alive. David shows us some of the things that God liberates us from if we do go to him, okay? The first thing is death. God has freed your soul from death. Whatever happens in this crisis, you are free from death. You will never die the second death. Now, you guys are like, some theologians out there are like, oh yeah, I know what that second death is. But some of you go, what is the second death, Pastor Blake? Look, if you are not a believer in Christ, you will feel a full weight of death. That's the state that non-believers enter when they physically die and are judged and are eternally separated from God. It means you'll be outside the presence of God in eternal torment. Let me ask you, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Right? We don't want the second death, do we? But as a believer, you are saved from that. God has saved you from death. See what that means when somebody says you are saved? Because for you, death has lost its sting. You'll die physically like everybody else does. But living and believing in Jesus, you won't see death in its fullest sense. There's no flames of fire. There's no bottomless pit. There's no depart from me. Your soul is liberated. And you'll be with Jesus for eternity. Now, that in and of itself, even during a crisis, if you don't get the outcome you want on a crisis, that should really be like lifting us up a little bit, right? If that doesn't make you happy, if we're not meditating on that, thinking about that all the time, we'll stop, we'll stop getting excited about that. We should be perpetually delighting in that. Now, you could bully your way through the adversity, okay? You could cheat to win or blow up other people on social media or cancel people uh, or, you know, pick up the the weapons of the world and fight. But none of those are gospel principles. None of those are even biblical principles. Sometimes you're going to take the body blows and you're going to let them fall. Jesus says, what is it if you gain the whole world but lose your soul. We can't fight battles. We can't fight adversity the way everybody else does. We tend to file the gospel away as some nice little thing that we did when we were like, uh, you know, at VBS when we were seven or eight or the decision we made as an adult. That was the gospel right there. And we put it in a little box and we put it in the back of our, uh, of our top drawer in our dresser. And we never really go back to it. But when we do that with the gospel, it never really becomes real to us It's not part of who we are. It's not uplifting. And we don't remember that we beat death. In every situation, whatever burdens you carry, whatever blows are landing on you, okay, remember that. So first of all, there's no death. We are liberated from death. Secondly, God has freed your eyes from tears, okay? We have no reason for grief. No real reason. What? Pastor Blake, you tell me I I can't be sad? My my mother just passed away. You know, my mother did pass away a few years ago. My mom, who was, uh, for years, I I explained Jesus to her in the gospel time after time after time for decades. And finally, on her deathbed, I, I said it for the last time, and I started to get up and walk away in sadness, and she reached out and grabbed my hand. And she goes, Blake, I know. How can I be sad about that? There was no tears. It's hard to be sad with that huge win right at the end, isn't it? But, you know, Blake, what if I'm suffering badly in life? You know, maybe you are a victim of injustice. Maybe you are oppressed. Maybe you're hungry. Maybe you're poor. Paul tells us this. He says, Our light affliction is but for a moment, and it works in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So, you know, Pastor Bay, you just don't know how much I suffer. Well, you don't know how much I suffer either, okay? But guess what? If we took all of our suffering in this sanctuary here, we put it in the basket, it would not outweigh the eternal glory of God, okay? It wouldn't do it. It is not worthy to be compared to the eternal glory of God. Paul says they're light afflictions, even though it's hard for us to believe that. So he wipes our tears away. But even if we must cry, look, we're going to cry. All right? Don't let one tear be shed in anger or rebelliousness toward God. Let the salt in our tears add tenderness to our sanctification. Okay? Salt was what they used in wounds before antibiotics, they had the same effect. Rub the salt of your tears into your wounds and keep them from getting infected because the God of the universe loves you beyond belief in an unimaginable way, even through the worst of times. Rub that in to your soul as you cry. You may be saying to yourself, you know, that all still sounds sounds good, right? God rescued David, right? But David is David. How do I get access to that today? Look, David had it harder, didn't he? He didn't have access uh, to Jesus yet. He didn't know Jesus was coming. So David was a faith of the unseen that somehow, someday God would come through. And, you know, maybe you're sitting here in church the same way, wondering how God could come through in your life. Here's my favorite part of the psalm right here in verse 7. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Rest When Jesus deals with you and you submit to him and you allow the Holy Spirit to bring you to the cross, only then will there be rest, okay? If you've never done that, if you're here and you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you've never made the decision in a real way, there is relief and rest at the cross. There's rest from working for your own righteousness and also rest from scheming and sinning, Okay? For Christ earned your righteousness for you. He did it for you. So you can rest from that. So now you can actually try to live his way. You can live his laws without fear of failure. Because before you're you're failing, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to pull it off. No, you're not going to pull it off, okay? That's the whole idea. You need Jesus to pull it off for you. But now you can try and let it change you. There's no death. There's no tears. He made it possible if you to be forgiven for your sin. You can rest from that. So there's rest from the rat race. There's rest from self-image. There's rest from how do I look in the mirror. You are forgiven. And there's simplicity in that forgiveness. Without rest, we're not going to do well when adversity strikes. We should be resting even in crisis, even in adversity. So what happens though is we'll try to prove that we can make it through on our own grit, right? We always default to grit. Or the opposite. Maybe we can't pull it off, okay? And we, can't, we just never get out of bed. We can't get out of, off from under the covers. Don't try to handle adversity in those two different ways. Because there's a deep security that knowing even in the worst crisis, Jesus has done the work for you already. He has. You might have made a mistake that caused a crisis. Jesus forgives you. He did the work. And the outcome is determined, okay? So even when we, we might not get the earthly outcome we wanted. We might not get it. It's still not going to destroy us. If we have Jesus, if we're in rest, the outcome of that crisis, it doesn't determine our worth. It doesn't determine our happiness any longer. And it's because we have the deep peace of knowing we're accepted in Christ. It won't destroy us. You will stand at the end of the crisis. You will stand at the end of adversity. Because you are accepted in Christ so we can strike a balance in crisis response, OK? We cry out, we do what we can, and then we let God do what He will. Because, oh, how we fight and nurse our anger and our anxiety and our stress. And David felt it. you can see it in the psalm, okay? We anguish, we, we're afflicted, we're alarmed even. And then we give it up to Jesus and there is rest. There's rest in grace and mercy and righteousness. There's rest in the fact that there be no more tears. There's rest that you don't have to worry about death anymore. It's a stream of rest. It's a stream of life. It's a water of life. And where does that water, water come from? Where does it flow from? It never runs dry. It runs from Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for David's psalm. Uh, David had a hard life, Heavenly Father, and I thank you that he had a prayer journal that he wrote all this stuff down in, Lord. And I thank you for the way you reveal the gospel, even in the Old Testament, Lord. Let us bring the gospel and what that means to us into our heart closer every single day, Lord. Let us understand what righteousness really is. Let us feel the graciousness and the mercy you give us, Lord, and take away our tears, Heavenly Father. And we thank you, Lord, that there will be no death for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.